Chicago police training policies have come under fire in a new report. A group tasked with looking into CPD's reforms found that its updated training on de-escalation and use of force are reinforcing a culture that pits police officers against community members and that the training lacks perspective from the community. Here to tell us more about the report is Arewa Karen Winters, co-chair of Chicago's Use of Force Community Working Group. Hi, Arewa Karen. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. And also here, uh, Craig Futterman, another member of the working group. He's also the director of the Civil Rights and Police Accountability Project at the University of Chicago Law School. Welcome back, Professor. It's a pleasure to be back, Sasha. Thank you. And Chicago Sun-Times editorial board member and columnist Ramana Hussein joins us. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So, uh, Arewa Karen, before we talk about this new report, just remind us how the working group was formed and what it does. Okay, so the working group came out of, you know, um, as a part of the consent decree in terms of community engagement. And so uh, the, the coalition members were able to recommend folks the city uh, uh, canvas for folks. And so we put this group together. Uh, it was very diverse, uh, intergenerational. Um, it covered, came from, you know, together from all parts of the city. Um, there were some impacted members. We had a John Burge torture survivor in the group, uh, as well as um, my co-chair was former Chief um, Cato. And so that was how the group was formed. Mm-hmm. And, and your um, mission, uh, it's holding CPD accountable. It was to make recommendations towards the use of force policy, which one of the, I was just sharing that um, we changed it to de-escalation and use of force because language is important. And we wanted to put that, you know, at the forefront that we want that to be like one of the first things that they attempt to do is to yeah. de-escalate a situation. And a lot of folks listening will be more familiar with COPA, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. So explain how your group is different. Well, COPA does investigation on police misconduct um, and make recommendations to the, I'm going to say the superintendent and the police board. Um, we work alongside the interim uh, monitor along with the judge, the federal judge that is overseeing the consent decree. Um, so, yeah, we are we are different. You know, but and we are community. I know, you know, they're supposed to be community, too, but we are truly community folks working on this, um, you know, not getting paid. We're all volunteers. Uh, so I think that's important also. So, yeah, our dynamics is different. Professor Futterman, just so we're all on the same page, we are going to say use of force a lot in this conversation. What does that entail exactly? It's just it's just that simple. I think use of force in in some ways it's uh, it, it, it's when police actually use force or violence against community members. Um, just that simple. Yeah. And that can be in the course of arrest. It could be in a chase. It can be just in any encounter when a police officer uses force, points a gun at someone, hits someone, tases someone, shoots someone. Those are all examples of uses of force. So, Ramana, you and your colleagues at the Sun-Times, you recently wrote an, uh, an editorial on this new report. Now, as we just heard, the, the use of force working group, it started in response to the requirements of the the federal consent decree Mm -hmm. that was signed back in 2019. Give us more context on that. Yeah, so the federal consent decree came out as a result of the U.S. Justice Department um, looking into the fatal shooting of Laquan McDonald. Um, As any Chicagoan knows, um, the shooting of Laquan McDonald was by a police officer, and it was a fatal shooting, 14-year-old boy, 
um, I believe, 14-year-old 17. or 17-year-old. Sorry, mm-hmm. it was on the 14th. That's what I remember. I'm mix, mixing up the date. And um, this was a shooting that wasn't widely covered when it first happened. But then, you know, a video surfaced of the young man walking away from police when um, off the officer shot him. And this was obviously a turning point in um, a lot of people paying attention, at least in Chicago, about police brutality. So this was as a result of the the, um, investigation into the shooting. So um, this has been implemented in 2019. And from what I read, um, I could be incorrect. It might have changed. But I think so far the police department is only 3% of full compliance in what the consent degree had recommended. And so they're a little slow um, in implementing the changes. And every couple of months, we get some sort of um, update on how far the police department has gone. And so far, um, we're a little slow. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, I think a lot of people agree that um, it's a little slow in the implementation. Professor Fodman, what can you add to that, the, the compliance with the decree so far? Um, what we've seen has been really a box-checking approach. Um what we've seen, I mean, the bottom line is what we've seen is resistance to change, that we see a department that is still steeped in denial, um, denial of the existence of the problem, of the problem, and also just from top to bottom, um, resistant to change, and has taken an approach to the consent decree that is more about what do we need to do to just check a box, like this training, um, like, like on training on use of force. We can say, ooh, did some training on use of force without actually um, being seriously committed or showing the officers that Mm -hmm. indeed the department is committed to change and committed to this consent decree, committed to eradicating civil rights, the serious civil rights violations that got CPD under the consent decree in the first place. Yeah, expand on that a little bit for us. Why, in your view, why is training so essential to changing that culture at CPD, the culture that led to the decree in the first place? Yeah, I I mean, what's interesting is that city and police leaders keep trumpeting training is the answer to all our problems, and that city leaders have spent more than $170 million of our money, of the people's money, building this controversial new training academy instead of investing that money into human services and stuff that could actually prevent and reduce violence. And these are the words of the former superintendent in terms of how much the city says training matters. He proclaimed that this $170 million training academy will put COPA out of business, will end police abuse in Chicago. Problem is that we, what the training we saw, the training that Arewa and I and, and so many members of the working group saw, we, the training we saw is not the answer. Instead, we saw that it's part of a problem and that the city just can't continue to get away with a box-checking approach to the consent decree um, because we can't afford to forget all that's at stake here. Yeah. Let's talk more about what you saw, Arewa Karen. Mm-hmm. You sat in on a, a CPD de-escalation mm-hmm. and, and use of force training. Paint the picture for us. What was that like? Well, it was interesting. Um, and so we did. We just solely observed. We didn't interject at all, okay. although there were many times when we wanted to. <laughs> um, and so one of the things that we noted is that um, that they they do use um, African-Americans to do a bulk of the training. Um, and I guess that's for them to kind of shape shift a little bit. Right. Um, but so they use African-American officers. Yes. African-American officer tra- trainers. Um, which could be a step in the right direction. Don't get them, don't get me wrong. Um, but for me, the, the, it was a it was a large class. I want to say it was thirty plus folk in the room. 
And the first thing that I noted was just their um, lackadaisicalness. You know, it was like this lull, you know, in, in this training. And so at some point we even saw some of the officers sleeping and the trainers saw them sleeping. 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 Yeah. One slept through pretty much the whole training. Wow. And so when we brought this to the, uh, on break, we brought this to the trainer's attention and, and they replied, they, they informed us that some of them just came off a shift. And I was like, well, why would someone schedule them to come off a shift? And this is important. How, how, how can they retain if they're tired or exhausted? You know, they could have had a trauma experience. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you know, they get robocalls. And I'm like, you know, we have a billion dollar organization here and they can't afford to hire persons to schedule them effectively so they're not coming straight from a, a eight hour shift a 10 hour shift to sit in this training um there wasn't much um back and forth there wasn't much engagement mm-hmm. you know there wasn't you know the presenters pretty much just talked throughout the whole session there were little fragmented pieces um and it was a one day training what, why was it only one day what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. What do you yeah. make of that, Ramana? I mean, in, in your piece, you did note all of what yes. uh, yeah. we um, just talked about. So our editorial focused on what the next police superintendent and the next mayor need to do. And so when I got a hold of this report, I thought it was very reflective of how many people see the police department taking reform, whether they take it seriously or not. Now, if you're going to put a bunch of officers in a training session an eight-hour training session, mind you. It's a full-day training session after they did um, a 15-day work week mm-hmm. or a double shift mm-hmm. or overnight shift. Mm-hmm. So to get it, – it, it shows that they're not really taking this seriously. And then I also – I mean, they were sleeping. They mm-hmm. were sleeping. They were dozing off and not paying attention. And I was just looking at some of the comments that the police officers were making. They're kind of flip about it. And, and I'm not saying every single officer was doing this, but, you know – if you're putting a, a lot of officers who are tired in a class where they're supposed to be training about de-escalation and use of force and they're not paying attention, what what progress are you making? And then, you know, the results um, of the study show that there's still an us versus them mentality and that, the, you know, whenever they were talking about community members, they were always kind of depicted as being a possible threat. Mm. And, you know, that's one of the things that we keep hearing over and over again about whenever we have people talk to us about what needs to change in the police department is that we need trust built up back between the community and police officers. And if you're going to treat citizens like they're a potential threat, that just makes the trust impossible. Yeah. Was this training required for all officers? It's required. Um, and the other interesting interesting thing is that for very long periods of time, police officers didn't have to do any training. They could be on the force for 20 years without having to update any training. So mm-hmm. this is new also that these trainings are being implemented. Um, but the other thing I want to say about the class was these are predominantly veteran officers. You know, the, I'm, I'm, Craig could correct me. I think these are rookie officers. These are veteran officers. So we held them at a higher standard. You know, mm-hmm. we had a different expectation for them. I see. But one of the things she mentioned about, you know, their, this us versus them, in, in terms of building the trust, w- one component of, of, of something that came out of the, the consent decree in terms of engagement, they're supposed to do these things called personal, what is it? Is it 
positive community interactions. And so when the trainer was talking about this, it was almost like they were like, they didn't really want to do these things. They felt like it was a waste of time. It was like they were pushing more paper. Mm. But that that is building trust. Like when you get to have, and then you have the community members engaging with you and basically validating your work. And so they are kind of uh, turning a blind eye to what could really lead to some, you know, public trust in our department. So, yeah. yeah. Professor, uh, talk more about this us versus them mentality. How did that come up? And why do you think that that mentality might be a problem? Yeah, um, it, 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 it came up, it was really a theme throughout the entire training. I'm glad you asked about this because about really, it, it wasn't just even everything that talk, that Ramona talked about and Arewa talked about, about officers going to sleep, not engaged, that CPD showing that they didn't even care about doing this training, but it actually, what, what really shocked us was the substance. Um, and while, and as Arewa said, there were a couple of individual instructors who we thought were great. I mean, they were really trying and overall, but and that they were great. But overall, what we saw is that this training, the substance of the training actually undermines the department's new and improved policies on use of force. The policies that are supposed to change our fundamental approach to policing in Chicago, the policies that Arewa and I and 30 community members of the work group work so hard to achieve. And so the policies say, let me just compare this, the policies say the department's highest priority has to be the sanctity of all human life. They prioritize de-escalation, they require officers to de-escalate conflict, they say no police violence, no force unless it's absolutely necessary. And if those policies were actually made real on the ground, this could really reduce police violence, improve public safety in Chicago. But what we saw in the training was that the training reinforced the same culture that got the department in trouble in the first place. Instead of teaching officers honor the sanctity of all life, what we saw was CPD officers telling officers their lives matter more than the lives of people they're sworn to serve. To your question, they kept saying the most important thing is just get home, get home, get home. Instead of challenging the culture of denying the reality of police abuse, mm-hmm. CPD training failed to even acknowledge that culture, much less acknowledge the reality of racism, and instead taught officers how to even justify and cover up some of that misconduct. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about a report from the Chicago Use of Force Working Group on CPD's one-day training on de-escalation and the use of force. We're getting insight from two members of the working group, Arewa Karen Winters and Craig Futterman. And also with us is Ramana Hussein from the Chicago Sun-Times, a columnist who's part of a recent editorial on this report. Picking up where uh, Professor just left off there, uh, Arewa, um, the report talks about how the training teaches CPD officers that their lives are more important than the lives of community members. And as uh, the professor mentioned here, instruction on how to cover up police brutality explain yeah i i think and 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 this is in the chicago culture right that's the culture of policing in and of itself nationally that you know i've even heard you know they use this reference where they say they'll rather be judged by six than carried by 12 you know and so this is the attitude that they that they have um so even if if sometimes their interactions their whole approach can be very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say aggressive, but just their whole tone and mannerism sometimes, especially for black and brown communities. And and, and let me be real clear about the us versus them. That's normally relegated or relative to black and brown people. That, That culture doesn't extend to certain folk in certain communities, right? That, that, that's about us. And so they, 
oftentimes when they join the force, for some of them, the first time they interact with African-Americans or Latinx Americans is on the job when they go to work, when they're supposed to serve and protect. So they have no cultural awareness. They have no cultural sensitivity. Um, and then they, they can come with biases. They can come with uh, racial, racist undertones. And so that is very, that is extremely problematic. And like Craig said, one of the things that that we expounded on was their sanctity of life. That was one of the things that we did uh, one of the recommendations that we put forth because for us it wasn't it wasn't strong enough mm-hmm. and so yeah that that culture that's a policing culture you know and it, and it, and it's not just in Chicago we see what happens nationally we just saw Tyree Nichols you know and I don't know the, the last young man who was uh, uh, smothered by ten officers uh, but we we see this this that that that's that us against them yeah so given this report. Ramana, and these recommendations you're mm-hmm. hearing from the folks, what must the next superintendent do to, to implement more thorough trainings? And, and what about the next mayor? Yeah, I did speak to Craig. I have to tell you, Craig was one of the individuals I spoke to and others, including uh, Charlie Beck, who is the former police chief in Los Angeles and our interim police superintendent. And so one of the things we hear over and over again, and like Craig said, it was very simple, is to take reform seriously. Mm -hmm. And that is something I'm hearing hasn't been done these last few years, and it is a check-the-box attitude. And so um, we were hearing over and over again that trust needs to come back, reform needs, whoever the next mayor is needs to take reform seriously, and they need to let the superintendent take reform. It has to be a superintendent that takes reform seriously, and that superintendent has to be given the tools to take reform seriously. One of the things that happened um, when uh, David Brown was superintendent is that Robert Boyk, he was a director of um, the police department's um, Office of Constitutional Policies and Reform, and he was in charge of looking to make sh- to ensure that the consent degree was being followed yeah. and the recommendations were taken. And so he was fired yeah. after he had, yeah, had but he is no more. He brought a question, yeah. you know, he w- raised a question about um, staffing. There were some people that were taken out of his um, staff. So you know, it's like, do we take this seriously or are we just saying that we care about reform? So that's one of the things that really, really needs to be implemented. Yeah. And one of the things that we also heard was that police needs to be more community based than specialized. And one of the things that um, Charlie Beck was pointing out is that we have too many specialized units in Chicago. We have to go back to community policing and focus on the community. And so that was some of the themes that we're hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is very tricky for a lot of people who do follow the police department and the fraternal order of the police. Um, Charlie Beck was saying that there needs to be a relationship between the police superintendent and the union. And we were saying, we, as an editorial board, we're like, isn't that really hard? And he said that, you know, it's not impossible. He said that he's seen this work in Los Angeles. And he said even when he was in Chicago – he said that he was able to form some sort of relationship by finding common ground. Mm-hmm. So it's also a matter of it's just a matter of um, respecting both your police officers, the rank and file police officers right. and the community. And that's been very tricky for us for the last couple of years. Before I let you all go, quick final thoughts from you, Professor Futterman. 
can't afford all that's at stake, and it shouldn't take, as Array was said, savage police beating of Tyree Nichols in Memphis to remind the people of Chicago what happens when officers believe they're above the law. Because the reality is, is despite the consent decree, police department here continues to use violence against black people at 11 times the rate that it uses violence against white people. We have paid in the last 10 years nearly a billion dollars in civil rights judgments and settlements alone and paid tens of millions more to lawyers mm. to defend police abuse. So it's got to stop. So if we hope to change this culture, CPD has to confront that denial and resistance head on its training. And the next superintendent has to have the courage to do so. That's Craig Futterman, director of the Civil Rights and Police Accountability Project at the University of Chicago Law School. Arewa Karen Winters, who's co-chair of Chicago's Use of Force Community Working Group. And Ramana Hussein, editorial board member at the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you.